Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 2-ing the Elevation Tour. Let's rock. At one point he says, beautiful day. <laughs> Does he? The baggiest trousers in the world. Yeah, this is the best streets has ever been, I think. What better way to connect with the audience than to actually make them physically part of the show? Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 7 of Review 2. Today we'll be continuing our journey through the story of U2 Live. My name's Tyler, here with me is Johnny. Say hello, Johnny. Buongiorno. We are two bespectacled U2 fans, we love talking about that too. We are your hosts and today we will be discussing the Elevation Tour. When I look back, this is where it all began for me. With All You Can't Leave Behind, obviously, the first album I ever bought. And then shortly after watching on Channel 4 the amazing live performance from Boston. This is, for me, a very weird experience reviewing something that feels so fundamental to me. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. There's kind of like a if uh, there's kind of like a pin in the map at that point. Mm. Um, That's where it all starts. Yeah, it's kind the of... The epicentre. Yeah, it all kind of comes back to that. Mm. If, if we go before then or after then. That it's always kind of linked in our minds, I think, because of... Because this was the first time we could live through a U2 phase yeah, and and know what was going on. And as we've been saying pretty much every week, U2, fundamentally a live experience. All You Can't Leave Behind is a great album. I absolutely wore it out. But that companion uh, gig and taping it and making sure I could watch it a lot of times, that really is what solidified my, my early love of the band and wanted me to go out and find all the other earlier live gigs and things like that and i mean it would, we don't want to break down the set list too early but this is a good gig in terms of it points in lots of different uh, directions it there's allusions to pop mart there's allusions to zoo tv even zoropa obviously all their early stuff so it's not something that is neglecting really any particular uh, era of you two except maybe the very very early stuff but i guess i will follow in there so yeah it's about i think it's about moving on and take that that old you two thing of just take what you need from the past you know all that you can't leave behind mm, exactly. but, you know very fitting in, in that time um yeah this does seem like a real high point for me mm. in you two's career they they seemed on top of the world in yeah quite an undisputed way at that time, and it's all it's yeah. always disputed now. And they were, as they said at the time, reapplying for the job of the biggest band in the world. And the thing is, much as a lot of people would like to talk down Bono and the band, they it's very difficult to dispute that they were the biggest band at that time. I mean the the impact and. Um, the love for, for All You Can't Leave Behind across the globe, rightly or wrongly, we've reviewed it, we know it's not a perfect album. Um, they were ubiquitous, you know. You couldn't turn on the TV without hearing, or radio without hearing Beautiful Day. Great music videos, great accompaniment, and supported by a fantastic tour as well. But think of the contemporaries, you know, that started at a similar time mm. and were still going. Um, you've got people like Depeche Mode, where were they in 2001? I, I don't. I don't think they'd split up. I think they were still together, but mm. the the star had certainly fallen. And I'm a really big fan of of Depeche Mode. They've got some great live DVDs yeah. as well. In Excess was pretty. I think at that point they had broke up. I don't think they got back together at that point. So it, the Waterboys you could also name. You know, mm. 
there was a lot of acts that came through in the 80s that were, were very big, mm. but they were very big for a, quite a brief period and quite yeah. a small time frame. And but, we're also not talking um, necessarily about, you know, that these bands are bad or anything. It's just in terms of the sheer influence and impact. You two are streets ahead. No, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, all the bands I've mentioned, but mm. were... W- Where's their world tour? Yeah, where, where was why, when were they doing the the theme tune for match of the day and things like that <laughs> all the super bowl halftime show yeah it was you two just seemed to keep growing and growing and growing and maybe maybe this is the pinnacle possibly it, yeah i don't know if if they've reached high, i don't know if it's possible to reach higher than where they were in 2000 2001 well i think this is where it's going to be interesting to see what people think depending on when they grew up with the band and when they found the band it's just coincidence of history that that we grew up at this particular time and started, you know, kind of our adolescence and our love of music in a serious way when this happened. Yeah. But this just might be just another gig to another another YouTube fan who actually thinks, oh no, actually I really like um, Zoo TV a hell of a lot more. That was the pinnacle. Or I really like um, the Joshua Tree and everything past Rattling Home is is not interesting. So it's going to be weird because. As I said, these seem like definitive versions of these songs to me. I know every single, you know, nerdishly, I know every single movement of each camera angle and the little kind of quirks when Bono raises his hand, does a little jive or movement or something, when Edge moves forward slightly in in the fly. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, it felt like a a brave new world in a way because going into the new millennium. And I think for a little while into the new millennium, everything did feel like you'd started afresh and mm. it felt modern and, uh, you know, very sci-fi. Maybe that's mm. just coming through my eyes as, as a child at the time. But even when I look back at that time frame now, I, I feel like the 90s didn't really end when 2000 hit. The 90s ended more in 2001 around like that 9-11 thing i feel like yeah well that's two, the pinnacle moment isn't it it's two very different cited. worlds so this is seeing out that old u2 world mm. after that point we reach a, a much more cynical much harsher much crueler much more violent world really although i guess to try and put some kind of um positivity on that from our angle it also imbues a lot of these songs with not just a general kind of sense of you know keep on going walk on it imbues them with a actual contemporary event that either needs to be worked through and got over or you just end up circling back and back in a horrible kind of phase of melancholia so yeah it was it was a it was a a different time although obviously those events have not taken place just yet we have other kind of traumatic events going on in u2's very immediate band life principally the illness of bob hewson and then his death so is it, is it worth talking about that now or i think i think later, uh, there's going to be various points in the show where we end up di- discussing okay. all those ideas so i think we'll should we get on to the, the stats then well yeah well there may be people at home who have never heard of the elevation tour <laughs> think of all those young review two fans we saw in twickenham mm. who you know they're still in still in their teens so Let's uh, let's just discuss what the Elevation Tour was. So, after the 90s and Zoo TV and Pop Mart and really pushing what a live show and a, a concert could be, 
you two decide to go a little bit more intimate, bring the show back into arenas. Mm. Uh, so the Elevation Tour was a worldwide concert by the rock band U2. We're getting very fundamental here, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was launched in support of the band's 2000 album, All That You Can't Leave Behind. And the tour visited arenas in 2001. U2's return to basics in pretty much every sense. Mm, mm, maybe and maybe not. <laughs> I think at least on the that, on, as a surface reading, that's that's pretty accurate. That is accurate, but like we always do, we'll unpick and complicate. So, do you know when the tour started, Johnny? No, I said I don't do the stats for this week. Fear not, I have stats. Uh, the tour started on the twenty fourth of March two thousand and one, and ended on the second of December two thousand and one. So, really, quite a short little tour. Yeah, refreshingly short, actually. Yeah, only three legs. Okay. And so a tripod of a tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, 113 shows. That's that's a lot of shows for such a small amount of time. Yeah, quite intensive, I guess. And and it was very in- intensive on the band members, particularly Bono, as we'll discuss. Mm. Um, it's re- kind of describing quite a, a, a really triumphant time in U2's career, but also a very tragic, a hard time. one time, I think. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of high points, but also a lot of heartbreak at the same time. And also, I get really, really knackered flying back. Just you know, a two-hour flight from anywhere, you know, something like that. Yeah. Bono flying back and forth and back and forth. How much of a physical toll is that going to take on you? Yeah. Um, but it it did all work uh, work out well in the end, as the tour made one hundred and forty-three point five million. That's nearly two hundred million in today's money. Mm. No, so that's more successful than Potmart then. <laughs> um, but yeah, the expenditure was a lot less on on this mm. tour. Smart, very very smart. But if someone said to you, "All right, I've got a job for you. You need to um, you need to go and play all these gigs. Yeah, start in March, and you, you don't finish until December. Mm. But you are gonna get." 143 million pounds. Think about it. Yeah, you know, you... I mean, I don't have any songs to play, so... You've had, you had worse days. You, you could write... I reckon you could write songs. Yeah, okay. If we had from now till March to prep it... Yeah, maybe we could get a couple of terrible songs together. But, yeah, like, that's a... It's a big earner. It, it really is. Um, So, where are we talking about on the Elevation Tour? We are going to be discussing the Boston, Massachusetts show, which was released... In about 2002? It was... I've got released in the 26th of November 2001. So... This may have been the last um, U2 concert to be released on VHS. Maybe. I've never even... I haven't even thought about that. I've I've never seen VHS of it. Well, I guess I had the VHS, which I recorded off Channel 4, but that's about it, really. Um but it was recorded over a few different nights on the 5th, 6th, 9th, those nights I, I wish they wouldn't say that. Yeah, it does sort of ruin the illusion a little bit, doesn't yeah. it? Like, but then we're doing this, we're doing that anyway, aren't we? Yeah, I, I, when I, when I, because I, when I was a kid, I used to watch this and Slain, like just back to back all mm. the time. And when I started to realise between the shots in Slain, at one point it was dark and then the next it was daytime again, mm. I was like, I really didn't want to see that. It really, it broke the illusion for me, and I, I'm still not fond of that shot. And I know which shot it's in. I think it's in the 
Sunday Bloody Sunday. Okay. Anyway, that's a different gig. So the gig we're talking about today is uh, in the Fleet Center, also known as the Boston Gardens, a very, very famous arena in America. Um, it was recorded on the 6th of June 2001. Just over 17,000 people in attendance. That seems absolutely tiny. It does. So, wait, just... so. Is the majority of the gig from the night on the sixth then, rather than the fifth or the ninth? Because uh, I, I there is a mixture. I didn't write. I'm just, let's just pretend this is <laughs> the gig from the sixth of June two thousand and one. I'm sorry if you went to one of the other two shows, but just for ease, let's. All right. Let's yeah. There we go. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> okay. So we've already said that they decided to do a much more basic show much more basic stage set mm. uh when willie williams um designed a stage he didn't really know where to go did he well there were a lot of different specifications that were that were being considered the main thing being that they wanted simplicity and rawness and williams was a real fan of that i mean much as i love zoo tv and pop mart you can only go so far in that direction and i can't think what the natural stage is after pop mart i mean what is that play a gig on the moon I think it's just implosion. Exactly. So it makes sense. Once you've taken it to that extreme, strip it all back. And Williams was really keen for it to be simple and raw, but also a kind of distillation of everything in the band's past. So obviously you're saying before this is simple, and on first appearances it's way more simple than Pop Mart. But there are elements all the way throughout that do harken back to previous eras so there there is the fast video screen kind of intercutting and use of those um led bulbs for i mean the fly stands out to me in that particular respect there is a return to a b stage which they they did use in pop art but it's okay it's fine it's not mm. exactly that they only done. got better at using b stages yeah so if we're talking about the actual stage set and the b stage apparently they were kicking around some ideas for what they were going to do with with that stage. And Willie Williams had this idea of just... He drew, essentially, the Potmar arch, but fallen down. And then filled in so the band could walk across it. And that was an idea. And then Bono filled out the sides to make it a heart shape. Is Willie Williams just trying to use the same set twice? Yeah, he's trying to get money for old rope, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so Bono thought, here we go, this is, this is um, him sticking his oar in and saying, let's make it a heart shape, which makes sense for the album and everything. And then it was Adam, apparently, who suggested that if it's a full, filled-out heart shape, then it'll look good for a bit, but then as soon as the band utilise it, Larry will just be left stranded at the back, which wouldn't look very good. So he said, let's take out the middle, fill it in with fans, and the rest is history. It seems like such a simple concept, but it's such a good reinterpretation of the B stage, which by that point had become a real rock and roll cliche. And it also means that you don't have to do that thing, again, I'm basing this on YouTube show, where you walk out to the B stage and then go cheers and then turn your back and walk and turn your back on the audience. You can utilise the whole thing and boy, do they utilise that, that runway all the way through the gig. Yeah, I've heard fans cl- complain about pretty much every U2 stage going. I've never heard of them complaining about this one. No. Even the way I, I think the, the fans were... Le- it was... I think it might have been a lottery if you got to go in the Ellipse. If you had a general admission ticket, mm. I think it was a lottery. I thought the Ellipse was for the first like thousand people, and that's why during the Vertigo I think that's tour, what it became. It. Yeah. But a lot of people don't like that because, say, 
if you're working that day. Yeah, exactly. Or you've got childcare <clears throat> or something. It's weighted towards people who... With now to do, basically. Yeah, we've not, <laughs> with nothing to do. So it like punishes people for having, you know, having jobs. And mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people who don't like that system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know Bruce Springsteen does a lottery for what for, for whatever his stage is and a lot of people cite this as being the way to do it i'm just imagining bruce on stage now you know with like a big bingo kind of like caller thing pulling out numbers number 36 i sounded more like <laughs> a, a wrestler then or something um i don't know which wrestler maybe who goes yeah. yeah is that macho man randy savage the macho man <laughs> i don't know why i give you <coughs> Wow, t- oh Tyler's hurt his throat by pretending to be Macho Man. Oh, not so macho anymore, it's are not you? Not an easy impression to do. No. Well, you have a bit of a bit of a drink, and then we'll move on. Oh. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> the elevation stage. Anything more to say about the stage? It's not the stage itself. Beautiful and simple. Uh, one thing that Willie Williams was concerned about is uh, that they'd started. With Zoo TV and Potmart having a lot of things to look at, having uh, having something being very visually interesting, mm. and because they are pretty much in the round, which is the theatre term for being right in the middle of the audience, there was fans behind the stage. Mm. It was felt that a lot of times fans are just going to be looking at each other, yeah, because there's a little stage there, but that you can see straight past them. Yeah. to the audience so what Willie Williams did and he won an award for this actually yeah he um, would project things onto every available surface so sometimes it would be shining on the stage or on the audience this is um, you can be seen very clearly on the DVD in Walk On and Bullet the Blue Sky he everything in the whole arena is was, a surface was the stage yeah so that you two are all about connecting with the audience. That's what makes them such a great live act. And what a be- what better way to connect with the audience than to actually make them physically part of the show? Yeah, and it also looks great. It's it stands up basically against the test of time. We're sixteen years on from this, and it still looks brilliant. Nice crystal clear text that's moving over the audience. You can read, you know, where it's saying. Um, Oh, you can't leave behind that kind of thing. See all the symbols that have been projected from that album. Um, the award, by the way, um, is a Live Design Magazine's 2001 Eddie Award. Oh, we all want one of them. Well, I guess, I mean, it'd be weird if we got one. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's the level of a Hot Press Award or a Golden Globe. Um, within the industry, it probably sounds quite prestigious. Um so uh, the award stated, while U2's current Elevation Tour is striking in its simplicity, as, as we've mentioned, Williams created an almost complete amalgamation of lighting and video by using the entire space of each arena as a projection surface. So, yeah, it's, it's really innovative. Visually you, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, you'd want Willie Williams to be working on your tour if, if, if you had the resources and saying, just put these ideas to use. I mean, I'd like to be on his team. <laughs> I'd like to see what myself and Willie Williams could come up with. Mm. It would... I, uh, the, the starting point would be Potmark. <laughs> and and, and, and your that, costume. And that as a starting point mm. is quite a statement. Tyler Mart. That'd be awful. Review 2, Mart. Let's do it. <laughs> 
Well, that would be good. Won't we just play the theme tune about ten times? <laughs> good night. We could do our cover of um, All I Want Is You. I think we might get sued. No, <laughs> no, we won't. It's almost unrecognisable. Mm. Um, so, shall we? I mean, should we move into the swag? Are we we're going to have a chat about the swag? Or do you want to carry on with the set? Um, I mean, the stage. No, no, I think I've got everything there. Um, okay, so I think Edge is out first in this one. So, it's difficult to tell the way it's shot because there's obviously a lot of work coming from Bono's glasses. Yeah, as camp. opposed to Potmart, which was possibly the greatest entrance to a rock gig ever. Mm. They just basically walk on stage. But that's the point, isn't it? You've got the yeah. house lights up. There's not a there's not a huge fanfare or something spectacular in terms of that silhouette of Bono rising up against the flag. It's it's quite a humble way to begin. Yeah, exactly. Look, we've got no tricks. There's no lemons in our sleeves. Don't worry. So Edge comes out, um, blue jeans with sequins on them. Yeah. Almost like fleurs, very boot cut towards the end. Of the style of those boot cut jeans, they were very, very big and then very, very not big quite quickly. Sequins again. Hmm. Not as cool as his metal trousers. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I, I think the edge looks better here, but I'm, I'm not a fan of sequins on jeans. No, I don't think they look particularly good. Um, um, again, very of the time. Black beanie hat. Yeah, nice hat. Um, and a red seven shirt. Yeah, the number did change, didn't it? Uh, I think it did. I know there were a lot of conspiracy theories about what the seven mean and things like that, but it just turned out to be. It's a nice number. Didn't they have an EP called Seven out at the time? They they did, but I don't think that was why he wore a Seven shirt. I mean, it could be. I might be wrong here. I remember looking this up because I wanted to buy one of those Seven shirts at one point. Yeah, um, I, 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 I've I always wanted one, but I can't wear one. It's got to be you. You're the edge in our, yeah. our group. Well, maybe I can commission someone to make one. And look, if there is an actual reason behind the Seven, then please tell us. But from my scant research over the years, I've not found anything. Yeah, uh, I think this would be the Edge action figure I'd want out of all of them. Hmm. I'd want the White Cowboy, but this would be a, a contender. I, I'm obviously going to buy the Pop Mart set. Hmm. Hasbro, if you're listening, you, you, you're going to make so much money out of us. <laughs> just just bring this out. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd have the whole Pop Mart set, all the different outfits, the, the lemon, and hmm. that, wouldn't that be a great play set? We are older... Too old for, for toys is what I'm saying. That's not a toy. <laughs> it's a collectible. It's a collectible action figure. <laughs> and then I come in and you're on the floor, like just going like pew pew. With sixty-four points of articulation. <laughs> um Right. We go to Larry Mullen Jr. next. Yeah. I mean, it's not a particularly uh crazy look, is it? But he looks great. He 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 looks like he's grown up. Yeah, he does. He does. He's got some uh, nice, smart black pants on, probably from Marks and Spencers, uh, and a grey blue short sleeve shirt. Very, very classy. Very showing a, very showing cool. a lot of chest. Uh, but I guess you want to keep cool if you're a drummer. Yeah, uh, Larry, uh, Adam Clayton. Yes, with his uncle decorating look, <laughs> the baggiest trousers in the world. Yeah, very large, to the point where. You almost can't see anything else. Those trousers are so big that they're just distracting. Yeah, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't think Adam looks very good on this tour. He looks 10 times cooler 16 years on. Yeah. Oh, God, it's that long ago. Yeah, that's how old. Oh, no. Uh, And then Bono comes out. 
And I think this is the Bono look. I think this is the the image of Bono. It's very people, definitive, isn't it? People get in the mind as soon as you say Bono. Mm. Um, arguably, he's never looked cooler. Mm. It, it, the look has aged a little bit. I can see that. It's an updated... It's sort of an updated fly look, though, isn't it? Because all the essential elements are there. He's got... His long hair is back. It's black. He's got... It is black, isn't it? It's not dark brown. Cold blindness here. The hair? Yeah. I think it is dark brown, but it, mostly it looks black. Okay. Big wraparound shades. The one that he's become famous for. The ones that he gave to the Pope. Um, and a leather... And leather all over. But a slightly baggy Actually, his trousers sometimes weren't leather. Oh. They were just like, you know, like a combat pant. Oh. Um, Adam didn't lend him some, did he? No, but he al- he always looked good. This is this is the classic Bono look. Yeah. Um. So I'd have this action figure as well. I think I'd I'd have them all. Obviously, I'm that kind of person. Got to catch them I all. I still collect wrestling figures. I'm 26. How much are you admitting to on this podcast? I've not I've not <laughs> bought one for a few years now. Mm. Um. But. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd, so maybe I'm done, but I'd, I'd certainly buy the action figures of and, you two. And we'll come back to Bono's jacket and the inner lining a bit later on in the podcast. Yeah, the cool red embroidery on the sleeves as well, which you didn't have on the first night. And there's the a thought. Jaguar on the back. A Jaguar? Yeah. Not the car. No. We're... The Wildcat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know why you were confused about that. He's got or a panther. It's something on the back of his jacket. Yeah. Very nice. Stars. Mm. Stuff like that. Um, later changes to gold embroidery. Mm. So, there you go. That's the uh, that's the swag for this week, um, and then we're going to move on to the set. Okay, Tyler. So, do you want to take us through the set list to elevation? Okay. So, no pomp and circumstance this time. They go straight into elevation. Then beautiful day until the end of the world. Stuck in the moment. Stuck in a moment, isn't it? Stuck in a moment you can't get out of. It's a needlessly long title. Yeah. Uh, then Kite, Gone, New York, I Will Follow, Sunday Bloody Sunday, In a Little While, Desire, Stay Far Away So Close, Bad, Into 40, Where the Streets Have No Name, Bullet the Blue Sky, Wither Without You, The Fly, Wake Up Dead Man, and finally Walk On. Yeah. So, as we've said... They come out to Elevation, and it's it seems like a, a very different U2 than the ones we, we left in Mexico, Mexico City last time. And what would you say Bono's voice is like for this? Because I think he was having a lot of problems with it mm. at various points. And I was wondering, you know when he's saying... Um, I, I think I've never noticed it being bad at the time. Um but maybe it wasn't as strong as it could be. Yeah, I think it's only in retrospect now we've seen so many really strong performances in other DVDs and across other tours, but it is a little bit sketchy, and, and not in the sense that he's missing notes, it's that he's sort of... Um, what's, what's the word for it? He's, his voice is sort of breaking at different points. Yeah, it's, a bit, yeah. it's a bit difficult, really. And we'll, and we'll go into into why that is. But yeah. just let's just talk about the performance. Um, I thought it was a cool entrance. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, it flicks between um, cameraman footage and Bono cam footage. Yeah. Where he had a camera in his glasses. And it's important that you don't see Bono right from the start. You you see other band members and you see from his perspective. And then the first time you get to see him is from a behind camera and he's kneeling before his microphone. 
And then obviously you get the hands going into the face as he begins elevation and him jumping up. And the, then there's a the big reveal. It's it's so well directed. Hamish Hamilton, give that guy a medal because he directed. Give him an Eddie Award. No, because that was just for Willie Williams and designers, I think. Well, that's not good, is it? Um, yeah, it's, uh, the DVD extra, you can see the whole song through Bono Cam. Which I would never bother to do. It's better as like an a intercut sort of thing. I don't know. I think I have watched it once, but it, yeah, the the, the finished product is is a lot better. Mm. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a bad seat in the house. Everybody seems to have a really good view. And I'm I'm sure there's a, a few small people who can't see being stood in the ellipse or a bit further back. But if you've got a seat, I mm. think generally elevation's a good show for that because you can see everything. Well, I have my own natural elevation, so doesn't matter. I think the production value is really high as well. Mm. It, I've not. There, there will be a point going through this series where I start to feel like there's a more of a disconnect where you feel more like you're watching a DVD. Yeah. Uh, and at this point, I still very firmly feel like I'm being made to be part of the show mm. by watching it, and I can kind of forget. You know, you you forget yourself a little bit. You, you escape into the DVD for a bit. You do that feel very close. Yeah, like you're stepping into that audience, which you. Actually, I was going to make comparisons. Let's not do that. Let's no, keep no. it fresh. Um, It'd be interesting to see if you think it changes at the same point that I do. Yeah. One of the reasons I think that we do feel that immersion, though, is because there's a lot of really good shots at crowd height and seemingly kind of from the middle of the crowd. So you do get a real emphasis on them. And, I mean, when the house lights go up, for example, on... Sorry, not when they go up, but you know when the house lights go down? Yes, yeah. For that last bit and... The crowd just goes; it, it absolutely erupts for yeah. for elevation. I, I I don't know if I've ever seen a band come onto the stage in this way, where mm. it's just the, all the, the the natural light of the arena, mm. uh, and the show builds up. You know what you were saying? You'd like to see them breaking things down, going yeah, into the yeah, Joshua yeah. Tree. This they they build this up into something yeah. huge and epic. They don't Potmar as soon as. They were, you know, they started playing. You can see that from the car park. That screen was just, you know, they they were pulling out all the stops from right from the beginning. Mm. They start out in a very kind of low key way, um, and I like Larry smiling. He, I think he he's really having a good time and enjoying playing the new stuff. Yeah, and it it just seems like a completely, I'm not going to say a different era of you two, but this kind of stands alone because you've got. You two with a new, fresh album, fresh yep. sound, uh, still inviting the best bits of the past with them, and a real confidence as well because they know this material is good. It's it's been adopted by radios. You know, people aren't in two minds about this, thinking, "Oh, is this too ironic?" You know, it's just absolutely it's classic a rock show. Rock show, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's a great start to a gig. Yeah, I've nothing bad to say about it at all. I mean, even the little bits where Bono's voice is kind of faltering works perfectly because, you know, can't sing yeah. is in the lyrics. And, you know, they don't bail out. They go straight into Beautiful Day. Uh, yeah. The crowd are absolutely all over this. A double header, yeah. I was trying to think, why do I like this version so much more than the version that I saw at the Joshua Tree, and it's it must just be that context. You get all that vitality and energy from it. I think because it's engraved into your mind. We've watched this so much. Vinny yeah, says, like, it is. Um, I watched this with Vinny two nights ago. Yeah, and 
he feels like this concert is just every little bit of it mm. is engraved onto his his mind. He knows every little sound, every little noise Bono makes. He yeah. he knows like all of it from start to finish, and there's never a point where he's like, "Oh, I don't know what's happening here." Yeah. Even little tiny movements and gestures, like the I can't describe the movement Bono makes when he says, "You love this town," and then sort of gestures to the audience. But yeah. I know exactly it, when it's coming, and it's brilliant. And we will hear from Vinny at some point because I did carry out a very candid interview with Vinny because it was his birthday. You recently. mentioned this actually, yeah, and I saw him. I was so like, really confused. Like, when did you? When did you do this? Surely <laughs> I was around. Well, the party was a bit noisy, so we needed to go somewhere a bit quiet. And uh, yeah, so I don't know when I'm going to oh, drop. Oh, this that is in. Vinny's birthday. Yeah, I thought this happened in London. No, 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 no. All oh, right, okay. Just the other night about elevation. So whenever that turns up, or if it already has done, there's a bit more Vinny for your book because everyone was everyone was clamouring for it. Yeah, um, but that's a beautiful day. Um, Bono seems a bit reserved at first. Uh, that that doesn't last forever, but he he does. Mm. He's approaching this quite gently, like he's still trying to figure it out. Um, he's he's not putting his all into it, which isn't a bad thing. It, 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 at one point, he says, "Beautiful day." <laughs> does he? Yeah, like beautiful day, and it's like, and it's always annoyed me. It's one of those things like well, I've never noticed that it doesn't sound like beautiful day. It's beautiful day, <laughs> um, and it's a yeah, but I I can't, and maybe I, I get too worked up about that, but it really does annoy me. Um, Bono knows when to tease the audience with the heart shaped stage. He starts walking onto it mm. and like doing that back and forth rock yeah. that he does. Because uh, obviously you want it if you're around the the heart on the outside, you want to see him come down to your bit. Yeah, and he's really teasing them and and just making them want it before he actually heads down there. And I don't think he does head down there in in this song. I'm not sure. I can't say exactly because it all kind of blends into into keeps, one in a sense. He keeps looking like, and the camera does a good work of making it seem like he's about to walk down there, mm. but he doesn't. He doesn't actually do it in Beautiful Day. I don't think. Uh, I think they save it for the next for the next song, um, but really bringing that stage into play early as well. Hmm. So that's good. But now let's go into until the end of the world. Oh, and I want to say before we start this, I felt bad about missing Bono spinning his guitar around his head in the last episode in Popmart. So yeah, that's such a highlight, and I can't believe I forgot it. It's so brilliant. It makes me nervous that. Yeah, that, but that's what's good about it. There's a bit of jeopardy there because, I mean, we all know that a U2 show will have certain choreography and Does things like that. Does he throw like that. it in the audience? He drops it at one point, but I don't think it goes... To, I mean, maybe it goes to the audience. Um, it looks like he drops it, but I don't know I if it's... I seem to have a memory in my head of him throwing it into the audience. He He's holding it at one point, then withdraws his hands from under it, yeah. and it falls. Now, whether that goes into the audience and it's broken up by clamorous fans who just want a piece of rock and roll history... I don't know. Maybe it's just caught by a, a friendly security guard who's waiting below with his arms outstretched. But he does drop it. <laughs> well, back to Elevation. Well, no, because we did Elevation at the start. Oh, uh, the, so, tour. the tour, yeah. Until uh, the end of the world. Yep. Too early for this song? No, I don't think so. Um, I think you've got to keep the energy up early on, and I think this is the right song for that. I mean, now I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this straight away, and it's good that they're not I mean, they do do a lot of songs at the start. I mean, Elevation, Beautiful Day, Stuck in a Moment, Kite, that are from the most recent album. I think it's good to gesture back to Zoo TV. Yeah. Why do you think this is too early? I don't know. Um, it, it's a good version. It seems really modern still. 
Yeah. I, I'm, I hate thinking that it's 16 years ago. <laughs> and then uh, the original songs even even late, uh, earlier than that. So maybe it's just because I think the singles are really strong and and I and they do play a lot off all that you can't leave behind in this yeah. show comparative to other shows you know the last two tours at least i think they've always been reasonably consistent with it i mean but they i think this was the first time they were properly secure and felt confident with the songs yeah yeah there's it doesn't get beat and also a lot of these songs if they didn't play them on this particular dvd presentation they played them at other nights so wild honey did get played yeah um uh Oh, even, thank God. Even, um, even, um, <laughs> even what's called got played the ground beneath her feet, which is it's sad that it's not on here. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I, I think pretty much all the album, and I might be talking rubbish here, but I think it's only maybe um, when I look at the world that didn't get played, which I love, but didn't get an out. Even even peace on earth got a flipping out, and I'm not I'm not a fan of that to be honest. <laughs> um. The duel has developed here and is actually better than it was at Pop Mart. Yeah. Because Bono actually gets knocked over. Yeah, it's really good. Um, he reaches for Edge's hat at one point. Does he really? Yeah. I mean, imagine if he grabbed it I've, I, um, and pulled it off. The show would come to a Edge halt. How does Edge react to that? Well, he knows that it's not a serious thing. He's not actually trying to pull it off. It's just a gesture. Um, but worse than that, Bono's kicking his guitar, which I would not... If we did a version of this, you would not be allowed to kick my Explorer. Uh, well, it's time for another quick episode of uh, Let's Talk About Pop Mart, because <laughs> um, myself and Vinny were watching a video the other night, mm. uh, and I can't remember what show it's from, I can't remember what song, but the, they're all standing together, I think, and someone throws something at Bono, I think it's a battery or something, and Bono just dodges out the way. Who brings a battery to a gig? And as, and you see Bono completely break character. Yeah. And just like stick the fingers up at this guy and just go, F you. Is that not at Slane? Because I remember someone throwing something at Bono at Slane and he says, I'm coming for you. No, that's uh, in All I Want Is You. Yeah. When, he, when someone throws water on him. And Bono jokingly says, all I want is F in you, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is a really great moment in Slane. But mm-hmm. this is... Where someone obviously throws something which could have actually hurt him. And who, who does that? I, I don't know. But is it he, just someone who's desperate for recognition? Because we're talking I, about it now. I, I, I don't know, but some. But it, the point is, I don't, I don't care. That, I, I wish that guy hadn't done that, but it was really interesting to see Bono completely break character. Yeah. There is no Bono character. That's just Paul Hewson telling this guy yeah. to go F himself, Cause basically. Because even Bono's ad libbing is. It has a certain comfort to it, you know. He's probably said something similar to that, you know. It'll be like Rome, great city, city of whatever, whatever. I don't know why I'm sounding weird Trump. like that. Yeah, <laughs> there was a hint of Trump though. Yeah, there? like, but you know, he'll do the same thing in Paris and the same thing in in Berlin or whatever. Yeah, but with different. But this things. was no, but this was like, it's a side of Bono I just hadn't really seen before. Mm. Um, so that was interesting. And if you've seen that, and I, I and I'm sorry for being rubbish on the details. A very interesting moment to actually see mm. the anger inside Bono. Well, he should have been done for battery assault, that guy. Well, that's enough of let's talk about pop and back into... Have we finished with Until the End of the World? It's a great version. I've not got that much more to say about it. Possibly think, my favourite version. Uh, yeah, I think the duel is, is better in this. And yeah, a lot of the time it's difficult to not say, well, this is my favourite version, so there we go. Yeah, let's go with definitive. Because it's diff- different, different yeah. f- uh, favorite, but I w- I would 
I, they probably meet at the same time. Mm. So, stuck in a moment you can't get out of. Stunning rendition. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, and this is, where, this is where I started to question, are we seeing you two at the peak? And it'd be very interesting to see it, what older fans and newer fans now think of this. Mm. To see if this still stands up or if it is just because of uh, our generation, our time, yeah. that this seemed really, really cool. See, I would like this song to kind of take the place, obviously it wouldn't do on the Joshua Tree tour, but I'd like this song to take the place of some of the older standards, like Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, for example, which just seems to have been played so many times. Again, great song, played a lot. Stuck in a Moment is as good of a song for me. It's not really played that often now, is it? No, that's what I mean. Yeah. But it's it, I mean it's a number it's a number 2 track. It's it's great. It's got a lot of soul to it. It's probably my favorite out of about a collection of a few songs where you two get a bit more soulful. Hmm. It's probably my favorite example of that. But and I, I honestly taking his glasses off as well. Yeah. They don't come they don't return, I don't think. Uh, not even for the fly. No, they don't, do they? No. Um, I didn't last long, did maybe it? Maybe his glaucoma wasn't as bad then. I I cannot comment on that. <laughs> I don't know. I just know he's got glaucoma. That's the that's the reason he tells people. He used to tell people a different reason, I think. Unless it's the same reason. Well, maybe he didn't feel like admitting that early on. I mean, mm. there's nothing to admit, but maybe he just didn't want to talk about it. Uh. So, this is the first time in a U2 show, I think, where they've tried to do this... You know, you know the up and the down. Yeah. In in terms of tempo, where I didn't notice it and I just got swept along for the ride. Yeah, I never thought there was an unnatural part of this DVD, and in pretty much every single one that we've done, there's been parts where I thought that pacing doesn't quite work, or I don't really get why that song is there. Overall, they've all been great shows. There's nothing where it's ground ground to a halt or anything like that. But this show does feel natural. But then I have to ask the question, is that because this is the kind of blueprint from which I judge all of the U2 shows? But it seems perfect. Maybe it's because Bonner launches into this song with so much character and, you know, adding so much to the start. It's got so much energy. You don't realise this isn't a big rocker. Yeah. Uh, then they go into Kite. Yeah. Um, and I, Bonner... I have a one-word review of this, and that's beautiful. Yeah, stunning. It's... That that intro really sets up the song well, and you two do a bit more patter than they do normally on this whole gig. And Bono's obviously saying that it's about a father or a son or someone you're trying to let go of. This seems to me to be tied up so so closely with Bob Hewson. Letting go, yeah, letting go of someone that you you don't want to let go of. And this is something I I talked to Vinny about actually, and I this is quite a a personal memory for Vinny, so I hope he won't mind me. We should probably check this with him before we put it out. Okay. But uh, he was telling me about uh, a time when his childhood dog, which I think was called Belle or Blue? Blue. And she was a greyhound greyhound, and she was lovely. Um, There was a time when Vinny came home and his dad had said that they'd had to put the the dog down. Mm. And he went up into his room and he just listened to... Well, he he watched this version of Kite like Mm. six times in a row just bawling his eyes out. Yeah, uh, and I think that's a really sweet, um, sweet memory. Yeah, and Vinny would have been relatively young though. Yeah, we were all quite young when certainly, we were getting into this. Yeah, early teenager. 
Well, I'm 29, so you do the math. And Vinny's the same age. Yeah, and it's great that a song like that can have so much power to such a young person when they're perhaps experiencing their first loss. But I think this song could have the same impact on Mm. someone age 60 who's lost a lot of people before. There's a lot of experience and innocence in this one song. Yeah, definitely. You you get a great combination of the of both of those two, you know, elements of life. Well, this this feels like a song which has it's very confessional in its tone. It feels like there's a there's no irony here at all. I at all very early on in the show, we only really get that sincerity later on in something like Please um in Pop for example. Mm. Or maybe Sunday Bloody Sunday, or you know, there's there's other examples, but this is very early on to get this, and it does feel like there's a real rawness to this performance. And this song might, if you just look at the lyrics on on paper and haven't heard the song, it might seem like okay, maybe slightly general, possibly even if people are being critical, a bit generic. Who's to say where the wind will take you? You can imagine that line being butchered by someone terrible. But, it, it, it but it's does, perfect for it, this. It has a campfire song quality to it. Yeah. You can imagine a guy with an acoustic guitar and just, you know, playing this. Well, Bono actually having a guitar and actually we can hear it. <laughs> it's <laughs> is quite nice. It's a, it's a really good song. Um, it's just a shame that they've got so many good songs that they can't they can't play all the good songs in a, in a show. They could if they stopped playing some of the, the, the standards so much and stopped being bothered about well, people. I don't think we're convincing people about this. I don't care, right? <laughs> right. Sidebar, okay. I like Queens of Stone Age. I remember seeing them on the Era Vulgaris tour and they didn't play No One Knows and a lot of their big singles. And I remember people walking out the gig going on and on about the fact that, oh, they didn't even play this, they didn't even play that. And every person being, not every person, a lot of people who I ever heard saying, oh, they didn't play No One Knows. Deal with it. Well, James don't always play Sit Down. Mm. They, they they have I think they have two songs that they normally finish with and they ask the audience which one they want to hear and it's complete you know what which well you you're giving the decision to the audience then so you're sort of removing blame for yourself which is quite clever of James I guess yeah but I think sit down still gets played more because it's you know a more well known track yeah uh, particularly when I've seen them at festivals that's when they sit down always you know there's all, and there's always a better song than sit down sit down sit down was very popular yes yeah. but. There are much better James songs than Sit Down. Yeah, I think there's no band should ever be beholden to play a particular song. Not really. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess... If someone it, says, like, you, you know, you should play that at every single gig, then I never want to play it again. If uh, The exception is if you're a one-hit wonder band. You know, if Chesney yeah. Hawks comes out and doesn't do I Am The One And Only, <laughs> something has gone wrong. But if you're, I don't know, some 41, you shouldn't have to play Fat Lip or In Too Deep or something. No. So I think it's the artist's decision, you know, and you deal with it. But, yeah, a, a, a Kite is a song that could feasibly fit into any U2 show. That's, yeah, let's put it on the list of songs should, that should be brought back. Yeah, absolutely. Along with Please, actually. Um, now we go in, uh, we dip back to pop for the first time, and we go to Gone. Yes. Uh, once again, dedicated to Hutch. Yep. Um, Michael Hutchins of In Excess. Um, let's rock. It's just what a what a great what a great <laughs> that was a very song. very Brent uh, way of introducing let's rock that. and roll get the guitar I'm ready she's ready <laughs> um, okay well <sighs> did did you notice stop Brenting um, <laughs> so did you notice Edge's guitar switch colour um, in this I 
I no, I'm I'm not as much of a guitar nerd. Okay, well let's get nerdy. Um, because <laughs> I've just read my notes and apparently when I've put let's rock, I've gone oh let's pop. <laughs> Either or is good. So there were different versions of this song, obviously because this is shot over a few different nights. One of which Edge had a tantrum in the middle of, because the band and. People will have different explanations of this, but some people say that Larry had, was finishing the song off too early. They were wrapping it up too much. A, another source says that Edge said, well, we just we murdered the song, so that's why he had a bit of a fit about it. But do you remember at the end, it shows him stringing out his guitar and slamming it, and then yeah. he throws it on the floor and then gives it a kick. Not a particularly... I mean, as far as appetite for destruction goes, it's, it's a starter, not a main. But I mean... It's it's weird that they left that in. The decision was that we wanted a bit of rock and roll energy, so we'll we'll leave that in. But it's just a bit confusing because the version that they're using for the actual soundboard for the mix that you hear when you watch the DVD is good. You know, mm. it, it sounds great. I'd actually say I prefer this version to the version from Pop because I think there's some bits of it that are more clear. Edge sounds better in it. Yeah, they clearly reworked it and figured out how to play it. Well, this is when they were doing that whole revisiting the the songs. They were just about coming to the end of the remix cycle for pop, Mm. a mere four and a half years later. Well, it didn't have to be done, but this is a a really good arrangement of of this song, and it's great, and it it is funny to watch Edge display that emotion, because usually, and particularly in this DVD, he's quite subdued most of the way through. Yeah. Yeah. now we go to New York. Mm. Very interested to hear your thoughts on New York. Why is that? I've just got a place in New York. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. I, I like. I like. I prefer the version of this. Did you used to have that um, CD, the bonus CD that you got with the Times, or was it the Sunday Times or something? Um, where there's live versions of this. I will follow what. <laughs> Laughing at my notes. Okay. Why are they similar? <laughs> no. No, okay. go on. Well, I, I prefer the version that's on there, um, personally <laughs> speaking. And I like... The, the the main thing that I remember about this is, obviously, you get the black and white, which is a really cool transition. And you get the the bit at the end where Bono seems to be tra- channeling Frank Sinatra by going... Bah, 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 da, da. It's sort of like a U2 meets Frank Sinatra mashup. Right. And I like it. It's a great version. I like the main riff. So, yeah. Go on. What, what, go on. What are you going to say? Um, well, there's a bit of a story attached to this. Um, put my feet up. Uh, and be- because they're playing New York in Boston, in Boston yeah. it reminded me of a time a couple of years ago when I went watching a band called uh, Catfish and the Bottle Men in Liverpool. Mm. Um, and I went with my friend Brad and we are at the bar getting drinks and there's this studenty guy with his back against the bar. Bear in mind, everyone's trying to get to the bar. Mm. But he's just stood there with his back against the bar talking to his circle of friends mm. and, and and saying, I'm so proud of them, you know, coming back home, you know, playing gigs to the hometown crowd. Um, just Can I just interrupt and say, if there's swearing in this, can you self-edit, please? I am going to sell. I am going to self-edit. Good. Um, and I'm just so I'm just so proud of them. And my mate, Brad, who isn't really one to mix mix words, mm just looked at him and right in front of all his friends just went, they're from Wales, you see. 
and you just saw this guy get destroyed, you know, in front in front of all of his friends. Mm. And it deserves him right for standing there. But I just wanted somebody in the audience to be when you two are playing New York in Boston, just go, "It's Boston, you <laughs> see." So that's what it Boston. that's what it reminded me of, and that's what um, was really funny. But it does it kind of kills the audience, like. I don't. I don't know. Maybe New York can only be played in New York, because it seems too strange otherwise. Yeah, I mean, maybe this was one of the, the the songs that they just really enjoyed playing from the new album. I think when you've just written the album, you might not have that clear hindsight that you'd get ten years down the line and think, "Well, we're going to play that, not that." But I don't. I don't think you go to Denver, and, yeah. and, and play Viva Las Vegas. Yeah, and they've not played Miami on the next bit, you know. So yeah, it's it just it just seems strange, um, and it it didn't come across as a very good song. This is one of the the only songs that d- don't transition well off that album. I d- I do think it sounds good, but it is a I don't know. I think I think it sounds good, and I actually like the looming uh, sort of shadows that they use in this as well. I think that's pretty cool. Um, they should. I I've honestly put here they should have played Wild Honey. Uh, what song would you have liked though instead? Uh, when I look at the world. Fair enough. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Or just something, some other, some other deep cut off off a different album or something like that. I don't know. Um, I'd have to think about that. I assume Edge is playing an Explorer here because I've just put Explorer. <laughs> yeah. Well. He's, yeah. All right. Okay. He's got. He's also got a great effect. <laughs> I'm glad on I was it. able to break my own code. He's got what code is that? Because I've just put Explorer and I didn't, oh, I, right, and I, I didn't know what it referred to, so I'm, I was just guessing. That... Get Sherlock Holmes out for that one. <laughs> yeah. um, Edge has got a really good effect on his guitar. That sort of um, it doesn't really come across as well on the record, where the guitar note slightly. Uh, I don't know if the word would be modulates, but it goes. It basically wavers. So he's playing it and it and it goes. You know, it sort of wavers around a little bit. I mean, go back to the DVD if you want to hear it. Don't rely on that. <laughs> Um, that is followed by I Will Follow. Bono with a guitar for I Will Follow. Bit weird. Yeah, first line, why has Bono got a guitar again? Exclamation mark, question mark. Weird slow bit in the middle. Oh, I love that bit. I think that's great. I, I think I can't remember this. Can you remind well, me? Well, this is where, uh, <laughs> this is where um, they have a lot of energy in the start. Um, somewhat channeled, actually, by Bono kind of miming with his guitar. I mean, but it may as well be an inflatable one. Um, so he's um, he's he does that nice middle bit where he's he's saying Edge, ring those bells, yeah. let those bells ring, Edge. Um, these bells never going to get old. And I think it's nice because this is the first time really that we've gone right back to the start um, in in this whole set list. And, first song from the eighties. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, but right at the start of it. I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. it's so early on, and they and they talk about the Paradise Theatre. Um, that or Paradise Club that they used to play twenty years ago, so I think that's why they want to do it because obviously this is a song they would have been playing there. Mm. It's brilliant, and again, it's a version as good as this is that is actually better. I think on that bonus disc that you got with the um, Sunday Times, I think it's the Sunday Times. Um, yeah, so great version. I mean, considering it's a song that they've played to death so far, this it seems fresh. It seems great. I'm mm. I'm very happy with it. Uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday. I when this started, mm. I was just sitting there thinking, "This is a really weird set list," because it's not as if I was sitting there looking at the set list. I was writing them down as they happened, mm. and 
I don't think that had ever struck me before. It's a bit all over the place. Obviously, they've yeah. made way for a lot of new songs. There's not a story being told here. But the songs, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. The song, songs from the back catalogue that they have played don't really have any intertwining theme. They're playing, they're playing hits, they're playing mm. good, and they're playing big hits. Well, I mean, I think they were happy to have the hits to fall back on considering they felt more on solid ground, whereas with pop it was all a bit more experimental. Um, and maybe they were happy to get back to that classic version of Sunday Bloody Sunday, having done it in a more stripped-down fashion that I actually prefer on Pop Mart. Um, it's, I mean, this is, again, a very classic version. Um, the most interesting thing I've got to say about it is um, Edge's... I always notice Edge's strumming pattern when he's doing the muted bit and Bono's saying, wipe your tears away. And I think this has the get-up, stand-up bit in it as well. This is the bit where someone throws something at Bono. Oh, this no. is where I've seen it. Mm. Um... I, I, I did this like two weeks ago. I have no rem- no memory of actually watching <laughs> some of this. Um, but yeah, this is the bit where someone throws something at Bono, he flicks the Vs, and he says, F you. Um, Not on which, which is edited out. No, it's. Oh. I think it would have been audible, mm. but it, it, it is edited out. But you just see him break character for, for a little bit because he's, he's trying to be in the moment and, and sing Sunday Bloody Sunday. Well, maybe that was a Bostonian who wasn't happy about New York. But you can tell it, he's been distracted for a brief moment and then he's back into the Bono character. It's, it's a really interesting like two-second bit of the show. Mm. Um, it's interesting to watch him deal with with something like that and seem so out of character. Yeah. But it's, of course, how he would deal with that. But I like as well that Bono is confident with this, even if he's even slightly aggressive about it, because he should be. He's 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 the lead vocalist on the stage. They've paid to come to his gig. They're in his house. Mm. And you could imagine a wide-eyed Bono from the water stopping the show being like, we've got some guys throwing coins here at the front, you know, that kind of thing. I thought we had enough coins in this show. Or whatever. There'd be the hell. enough spare change in this song. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean that is about the. the I think the I've done a Bonham of... impression on every episode this season. Well, long may it continue. <laughs> um, the, by the time they get to that get up, stand up bit, stand up for your rights. Mm-hmm. Get up, stand up. No one, no one needs a rendition. Oh, forget the light. Yeah, get up. Uh, so anyway, basically. The they're just building the audience here. They're getting. They know something big's about to happen. Yeah. They can do whatever they want at this point because mm-hmm. the the crowd are just eating out the palm of the hand. Um, Is that one guy? The, well, they're basically just playing this because it's a hit. They're not. They're not. They're not playing this because it's necessarily important or relevant to the mm. show. Would be a few months later, but yeah. At, at this point, it's they're just playing it as a hit. It's it's got no real emotional connection, which isn't a bad thing. I'm not saying that as, mm. as a bad thing. It it kind of works. It's interesting to see this song in in such a different light. I prefer this song when it's made more relevant to a particular context. Right. Okay. I mean, so I prefer, for example, the version at Slain, um, which I guess we'll we'll mm. get to, because mm. that feels far more charged rather than being just here's a song. Yeah. So the 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 tone of the gig shifts a little bit now as we go into in a little while as Bono explains about this being the last song that Joy Ramone ever heard mm. which 
you may like to talk about because you're more into the Ramones than I am. Most of what I know about this comes from this gig and, and Bono saying that intro. Um, I, it, it was emotional, definitely, to watch this when I was younger because I, I really, really did and do love Joey Ramone. And it's so great that those two worlds collided at that point, you know, and obviously had a, a, a good relationship. There is, a, oh my God, I'm going to say this again. On the Sunday Times bonus CD, there is a version of you two doing I Remember You, which is a great Ramones song and a really, really underestimated one. And you can feel that the, the original version is great, but when you two covered it, as they did on this tour, annoyingly not on this DVD. They cover it like a like like they'd written the song, yeah. not, not trying to sound like the Ramones. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, the original Ramones song is great, but it's sort of bubblegum punk in, in, a, in a way. Um, but Bono brings out... Uh, beautiful natural melody and the, and the, and edge brings out the chords that work there for that song and it's such a simple song on paper that you could be you could miss you could breeze past it and not think wow that's incredible and they bring out the beauty in it so anyone who's never heard that version please go and find it because it's so good yeah one thing i love about bono is and you too actually they they are very accomplished musicians. They are one of the biggest bands in the world. They are bigger than the Ramones and the Clash and a lot of their idols. Mm-hmm. They have reached, you know, pinnacles beyond that of of the, the people they listen to as teenagers. They've sustained it in a way that none of those bands could. But they still seem like fans. They still make when they meant talk about Joy Ramone. They still make Joy Ramone seem the, the bigger person. Seem like yeah, the the bigger icon. It's like yeah. they're still trying to achieve something, and. I think for me, in the terms in terms of the bands I'm into, that's very unique. That's it's. I I don't know if I feel like that about any other artist really. Mm. And I don't feel that that's false modesty. I think it would be the easiest in the, easiest thing in the world to say, well, that's just Bono, false modesty. He does think he's bigger than them. Do, well, if it is false, he convinces me. Well, that's what I'm saying. He convinces me too, and I I, I don't think he's he's joking about that. I think yeah. he does. And maybe even more over time, he's become a lot more humble in certain respects. I mean, that interview he did recently with Zane Lowe, he's out of the band, the most critical of the Joshua Tree, which everyone there at that table is saying, I can't believe you're being critical about this. Although yeah. he is being critical of his own lyric writing ability. Um, I guess in a little while, this song, Bono, I think you can see him really trying to do justice to it. He's, you can see him try to... He's pushing his voice. He's trying to be the performer, uh, and uh, I think now it's the time to talk about Bob Hewson, mm. or at least to start talking about that. At this time, Bono, uh, after every gig, was flying back to I think London, where his father was in hospital. Mm. He was. It, I don't know if his father was in Dublin or London. I think it, it was one of the two. Regardless, he was after every yeah. single gig, he was flying back from America to go and be by his father's bedside. Um, in an F, in 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 a, and he obviously was exhausting himself. He was burning the candle at both ends, mm. flying there and back, doing appearances, doing promo for the tour and for the album. Mm. Um, and this is why Bono's voice at times does completely give out on him. And I think there was one or two shows just before this, yeah, where he his voice had just basically completely gone, and the audience. Mm carried bono all the way through well he talks about that at the at the gig doesn't yeah. he? he says you know and my voice is back and it's like bono gets a lot of flack from a, a lot of people even you two fans mm. but this is even him. us sometimes yeah this is him really really 
putting in a shift. Yeah. I think this is why we like Bono, because we know he's the kind of person that will do this. He has a huge personal tragedy going on, mm. but his band is absolutely on top of the world. They've got a sold-out tour, and he doesn't want to let anybody down. He doesn't want to let his father down. He doesn't want to let the band down. He doesn't want to let the fans down. He completely goes above and beyond mm. at this point, and when you see him in uh, subtle emotional moments like like in a little while you just get to see that this is all taking its toll on on Bono as much of a character as you as he likes to present mm. the the physical human being behind it all it's just too much on him yeah and it he is very close to breaking down and very close to tears at a lot of points on the show but i think this is the first time in this show where you see it yeah, I think you get a mix of that throughout the show of him being a rock star, got his glasses on, jumping up and down, and then a rawness and a, and a quietness and him pushing through and making sure his voice holds. And then later on, a combination of those two things in a way that I think possibly has never been matched live. Mm. But I guess we'll get to that. Well, this is, uh, like again, you two all about interacting with the audience and being at one with the audience. And seeing this, they're pretty much just, just as you know, as close. The audience is supporting Bono mm. in in a more important way than you'd normally get at a rock show. So my question about this song then is, would you like to see it put back into circulation, or does it belong too much to this time? This needs emotional weight. So yeah. so if it's the right time, if something has happened, and and it's all because you're almost. You're almost asking for a tragedy to say that, but like if it fits and if it's the right song at the right moment at the right time, mm. like it was here, yeah, then yes, I'd love to see it. But I wouldn't like to see this being played as a shell song. I enjoyed seeing Sunday Bloody Sunday played like that because it's very unique. You don't normally see that, mm. and it, it's a good song regardless of that. But this is a—it's just a little bit too poetic, a little bit too emotional, yeah, of a song to do that. And I guess the initial song is quite quiet and insular. It's a song about a hangover and a relationship as well. So it's not transcendent in the way that Sunday Bloody Sunday can refer to other contexts and be updated in that way. Yeah. Uh, then we get some introductions, which is a bit late considering how many songs we've got into the gig, but nevertheless. Um, no, now he tells us. I've been standing here all night and he hasn't even mentioned who we're watching. Is that? Oh, right, that's a member of the audience. I thought you were doing a weird impression of Larry or Adam. <laughs> so this is, um, I'm going to say it again, the definitive version of Desire for Me. Really? I, yeah, I, I really prefer this over the um, over the j- j- you know, the really jangly version. I think this is absolutely the best Desire gets. It shows how close they are to the audience. You've got Larry doing some really subtle mm. stuff early on, and it's very easy to miss how great he is at playing drums <laughs> when he's just playing the rim of the of the drums here. <laughs> I, I've just put, hit those drums, you bastard. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and he did, he did. Well, it's just one drum as well, but I mean, he makes that... He yeah. makes that drum sound amazing. The Edge's harmonising with Bono is yeah. is so great in this. Throughout the whole gig, it's What great. a fantastic tandem they are in, in terms of you know the vocal department of a, of a song. Uh, and the other thing is, I think one of the biggest cheers of the night goes to uh, a special guest called Bono's harmonica, which he's got inside his pocket, and he almost takes it out sort of secretly. Maybe it's the way it's shot. Um 
But the cheer that goes up from the audience when he mm. goes there, it's so good. It's, it's Sorry, what did he do? I'm not repeating that. Good, good. <laughs> um, stay. It's difficult to talk about because... Yeah, now on the Zoo TV podcast, I said that stay at that show mm. was the definitive version of of this song. And I think it is. But the reason this isn't as good is the audience at Zoo TV were absolute fever pitch when they played it. Hmm. And here, I just think the audience, as good as they are, weren't as into it as the Zoo TV audience. But it was the single at the time hmm. for for the Zoo TV audience. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can I can see. I can see why you, the logic behind that basically, but I, for me, I really notice the audience, and I, I, I've just written they're still transported. I think the song holds up, and I, I mean, I guess that's a testament to it because it's not the single anymore. It's not, it's not of an album that everyone has got. Zeropa is not as well known as, definitely not as well known as Acton Baby or Joshua Tree. So, I think that they can play this and the audience can still react to it well is testament to the song. Well, I have a question for you, Johnny. Go. On. Uh, had slash and or has <laughs> this song been forgotten? Yes. Yeah. You yeah. Think, you think they've forgotten it now? Like it's. I mean, my my problem is is that there there are so many U two songs that I know I'm going to hear when I go to watch them. Yeah. That the these songs used to mean as much to me. So with or without you, used to mean as much to me as Stay Far Away, and the only thing that's diminished my love of that song is the sheer amount it's been played and that it's become a standard I hate this idea of standards you shouldn't go to a gig as I said before expecting that you're going to have to hear this this and this unless it's Chesney Hawks um, so stick, stick would you say say, say the next tour Yeah. maybe not the next tour the tour after experience is the U2 bingo tour where right, okay. every song has a number Wait, when you say every song, every B-sides? every album song, every single, no B sides then, no B sides unless it's one they play often. Remixes, no. Alternate versions, no. Go on. Right, every <laughs> album or single track. Okay, mm-hmm. they've all got a number. Duets. E- each number is put into a big bingo spinner, mm-hmm. a bingo drum, and they play the set list by going to the drum. <laughs> And picking the song out, yeah. Would you be interested in that tour? Okay, a scaled down version. A yes, a bit, but I mean the the problem is that's going to be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> I mean to play live because they won't yeah. have remembered how no, to but, play a lot. No, of but them. right. So just use your imagination, right? Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in seeing that tour? If it could with all the, be worked with, out, with and... the caveat of can they play every song well? Then yes. The only problem with that tour is that there would be no way of of linking everything together apart from from the motif of randomness and chaos. Yeah. So they called it yeah the chaos bingo tour, um, which is a great name. Um, <laughs> then that would be fascinating. Yeah. My only problem is knowing my look, I'd get with or without you. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Pride. Pride. <laughs> Boy at the blue sky. Yeah, then pride again. <laughs> <laughs> Where the streets have no name. Yeah, yeah. yeah finish it up with beautiful, uh, beautiful day. I nearly said beautiful day like Bono then. Beautiful day. 
Um, <laughs> Bit of David Bowie in there then. Um, so, right. I imagine we better do this justice because this might be people's favourite transition into other streets of no name. I don't think we've done this um, show justice. I don't think we can do this show justice. Like it's very. Difficult I think we like it too much that we just end up babbling like baboons. Yeah. But yeah, they play they play a really really strong version of bad. I watched this with Vinny the other night. Yeah. Um. It's it's so good. And this is where I think both the the heart and the lights really really come into when the they room. shine those when they turn those big stage lights yeah. on. Yeah. And you've got a, a lot more of a sense of them of them using that space really well and projecting onto the audience. I mean. Yeah, it's it's just there's there's so many moments in this which are very difficult to describe that just seem so. I need another word for definitive. Undisputed. Um, it's not really another word. I mean, it wouldn't you wouldn't get that a thorough. No, maybe not. No. <laughs> Memorable. I don't know. Um, yeah, the the yeah that version. Um, my thoughts. Oh, we're still doing bad and forty, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just every time I watch it, I'm very sad that I wasn't the. I yeah. think that either there, there are always special moments in a U two show, but there are special moments throughout the career. Yeah. And this is one of them. Yeah, and there's there's a few different ones that occur during this whole transition. Um, because I I kind of think of this as three songs rather than or you know one song made out of three. The bit where Bono's got his hand in the audience and they're holding onto him and supporting him. And then him kind of st- struggling, not struggling, but he's sort of fake struggling away from them. And his singing is nowhere near as polished as it is on, say, Wide Awake in but America. You can feel the emotion. Yeah, and the it, passion. You know, yeah, that's... When he's, when he's going insane, he must say no about ten times in time. He, But he's really belting that out and really screaming. Yeah. You can see you've got Bono, the character, and Paul Houston, the man just shedding emotion and mm. shedding just absolutely screaming because there's, I, I think there's nothing else he can do at that moment well i think he has to i think he has to do that to to push through the difficulties with his voice yeah it's it's not as strong of a vocal performance as i said as on as on wide awake in america but he pushes through it anyway and some of the words aren't, aren't articulated fully i mean which is thematically useful for this podcast considering how it's gone but um but it but it just it works so well and he pushes through whatever difficulties he's best had. intro to streets i was wondering about that i th- i think yeah the transition is i mean that little stepping stone of 40 that nod mm. to the past and then into streets yeah this is the best streets has ever been i think and it the 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 moment when edges his those notes come through it's not just that they start playing the the main riff to streets. It's the do do. It's so good. Whenever I run, I imagine I'm Bono at this moment. <laughs> you know, running around that heart. Ah, mm. oh, just that's and that's another thing. Uh, if if I could have my ideal U two entrance for me to do, not Bono, I would have to come out in my uh, lemon yellow boxers gown, mm. shadow boxing. But instead of going onto the pop mart stage, I go onto the elevation B stage. Very convoluted. Run round, yeah. The and then you changing. go. It's like a dream. Really. Up a mini elevator onto a flag of the EU. <laughs> Kick one off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tried to think of as many little 
adjectives to describe this um, this moment because I, I couldn't sum it up. This seems like the most. I mean, I'll just read the adjective I've got here: triumphant, unapologetic, but also naive, confident yet joyful, epic. It's so good. Yeah. It, it, it's I was so struggling to, sum, to sum, up, sum up my feelings for Streets, so I picked up the uh, booklet. Yeah, for, from the DVD. Great DVD packages, uh, uh, by the way. Um, much like the two we've talked about previously for ZTV and Pop Mart. Mm. Inside uh, the booklet, there is a little forward to the DVD by Danny Eccleston. Uh, and he, his last stanza in the basically summed up how I feel about streets and about this DVD mm-hmm. in, you know, as as a package. Yeah, well, take it away. Um, so this is this is the final stan- the stanza. Maybe I'll live to see something as exciting as Bono legging it around the walkways loop faster and faster as where the streets have no name begins its spine-tingling work. But I doubt it. Hmm. That completely sums it up for me. It, it's, yeah. it's absolutely stunning. The production, uh, the, the mixing, the interaction with the audience. This is such a good, complete package. Hmm. Snippet, special moment. Uh, it's... It's up there. They, they may never reach higher than this. Yeah, I was trying to think of a live moment that's even better than this, and it's it's very difficult to think of one. Mm. And it is sustained throughout the rest of the song as well. I mean, obviously you've got Bono throwing his hair back and running around this. This would be a clip that if I wanted to show someone, look, this band is a live act, and you can't just listen to them on record, good as Joshua Tree is, you need to see versions like this. Otherwise, you won't understand the experience i was listening to the joshua tree this morning actually and i i we've read recently that well, in the interview with zane yeah, yeah. zane low bono says streets is unfinished and mm. i think i can hear that as good as it is it's not like it's brilliant live it's always been brilliant live but on the record little bit seems like something's missing a little bit and I th- and I think mainly it's because you're not supposed to listen to that song on your own. You're supposed to listen to it with thousands and thousands of people. It's a stadium. Yeah. It's a stadium track. Yeah, it is. I guess. I mean, and that it does really come into its own in that in that setting. I mean, it it takes off really. And it's funny because Bono's got his arms outstretched at one point, and he's sort of he's almost like a little miniature plane sort of soaring. Mm. It looks at one point actually like he's going to eat the microphone, which is a bit weird. But no, it's, I can't really say much more about it. Next up, with the Blue Sky, we have a guest in the form of Charlton Heston. Boo. Boo, yeah. Well, I've got a little anecdote Big fan about of Charlton this. Heston, are you? No. For I... those those who don't know, remember who Charlton Heston was, he was a very famous actor. I couldn't tell you one of his films, but... Ben-Hur. All right. Look, he was a fine actor of a particular generation. He turns up at Friends at one point and tells Joey that he stinks. Yeah. Um, no, he doesn't. But... No, he does. No, well, Joey says that he stinks. Well, don't ruin friends for everybody. Right, anyway, um, but what he's being highlighted for here is his involvement with the NRA, the National Rifle Association, and his apparent um, credo that guns are never bad, it's only people that are bad. I have the quote here. Well, go on then. Let's hear what the old idiot's got to say. There are no good guns. There are no bad guns. A gun in the hands of a bad man is a bad thing. Any gun in the hands of a good man is no threat to anybody except bad people. Which is a very pithy way of summing it up, and it seems like, okay, the logic there makes sense, 
But obviously... I think it's... Com- there's no logic there. It's completely contradictory. Well, he's he's saying that basically guns are neutral. It's just people that kill people. But we know for a fact that a lot of accidents happen with guns. You're much more likely to shoot a fam- family member than you are um, a criminal. <laughs> I would say if you have a gun, you're much more likely to shoot someone yeah. than if you don't. Yeah, let's take the gun out of the equation. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? All our American listeners just left. Um, well, all five of them. <laughs> well, look, I'm being, I'm generalising there, but yeah. I'm, there's a serious point to be made here about... Um, there, there is a serious point, but let's highlight that we're from the UK and we're very used to guns being illegal. Guns are terrifying. And, and no, pretty much no one having a gun. I saw an armed policeman at the, at the train station at one point for some reason, probably no reason at all, but I was like, he's got... He's got a machine gun. Yeah, like only really over here. Over here, unless you're a very bad man, <laughs> then it's only the, the the armed forces that. Or unless, unless you live in the country and have a big shotgun or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but it's, shooting. It's certainly not. It's not. Yeah. A big thing like it seems to be in America. No, and it's not something that. Thank God, it's not something that we we you know will defend to the hilt and think is like a right that we have to have. Mm. Um, so I guess the, the reason it's worth bringing that up is is. I think you two are, I don't want to call them brave, but, and I imagine that it is, again, a more left-leaning, liberal audience there. But going to America and telling them that gun ownership might not be all it's cracked up to be is actually quite a daunting task, you know. It's not something that that is easy to do to America, to Americans, because even certain people you think are the left in all different ways or liberal in all different ways, They'd be like, no, but I still have my gun and I still want to carry it and I still want to have it at home. So yeah, I think it's quite brave of them. On the plus side, this is about as political as this this song gets, this show gets. Well, I'm glad overall it's not an overly, um, you know, kind of contemporary show in terms of loads and loads of political references. And that does mean that it's easier for it to be transcendent. Um, I've got a little anecdote about this story, though, about this song, because... I watched it so many times and thought it was so heavy hitting and cool and political that when my GCSE art project turned up and we had to do our own <laughs> our own project, I got very, very into this and I've been watching Michael Moore's um, Bowling for Columbine as well. So I was politicised in a very aggressive but probably quite naive and stupid way. So I decided to show my anti-gun message via the medium of an art project which was... Have you heard about this before? Uh, I think I remember it. Okay. So what I did was I took a box, which I think had had crisps in it, like a, a big, a, a lot of crisps, and um, I wrapped that in newspaper and paper mache and things like that, and then put lots of stats about gun deaths in America and covered it with loads of bullets and then loads of barcodes. And then as a further satirical comment, because, you know, bullets and barcodes, you can buy them at Walmart, as Bono points out. I took a baby and I think this must have been reminiscent of the, the little BT that showed before Bullet the Blue Sky starts where there's a child picking up a gun obviously showing how easy it is for accidents to happen if they're just lying around the place. I took a baby doll like a plastic doll and I glue gunned a little plastic gun to the hand of that doll and then I think I must have like scarred its face up with paint and things like that and then I glued it into the box and I think, you know, that was one of the greatest pieces of art of, of the early 2000s. I was obsessed with this song uh, <laughs> as, as a teen. Mm. Uh, I had a, a pretty big torch. I don't know how many candles it was. Um, but I, on a Friday and Saturday night when my 
mum and dad would go out, I would put on a DVD like this, turn the lights off, and shine a torch around the room. And I, and it reminded me that I really did used to love this song. Mm. I'm trying to think which one of us is the bigger loser. You, you put more effort in. I just got a torch. Got- if the torch was running out of batteries, I didn't even bother changing it. Well, I got a good grade for my baby in a box, so <laughs> there we go. Um, not very deserved. Um, we also get in this song the Bono, Bono approaching rap here. You know when he's saying, "Feel like a re-release, sooner be deceased," and I'm like, "Please don't rhyme anymore." Yeah, I was, I, I was worried how far you were going to go with the, with that quote. Um, yeah. Glad you stopped there, really. Uh, for... Well, it's in context, and we're not going to replicate it. But I think no, it's, it's in context. Uh, but no, I didn't, I didn't mind it at the time. But I feel like now I understand it a little bit more. It's. Um, it's a little bit more cringeworthy. Well, again, at least it is. At least it's them taking some sort of artistic risk here. You know, I mean, handled in a different way and with less levels of obvious care. I think it would be a bad line to include in the show. But I don't have a problem with this. And I, and there wasn't a big public backlash either. And I think you can't just take a, a word out of context and ban it from all from all uses. Although we're clearly not going to get into specifics here. But it's yeah. a good version, and I like the fact that it's sort of harkens back a bit to rattle and hum this may be my favorite version of it i it's not my favorite version because i don't think edge is heavy enough mm. um and i i just prefer other versions of it i think the pop mart version was was funkier and also heavier and it was a cooler version uh and then we go to another song from the joshua tree with or without you yeah trio of joshua tree songs here um i don't have very much to say about this um i used to think this was really boring because he just lies there hugging that girl, mm. and it it's, it is incredibly soulful. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, maybe he just he was knackered. And he just wanted to lie down. Well, I mean, he's just expended a lot of energy with the previous few songs, so I I get that. I would do anything for Bono to lie there <laughs> like that with me. I, I really would as well. I'm not even like if if the, the chance of it happening was. I I would I would so go for that. It might be a bit weird. It might be a strange way to meet your idols. Yeah. But I I would so I'd so go for that. The problem is you try and take the mic out of his hand and do a better job of singing. That's the problem, isn't it? No, no, I wouldn't. I would want to, but I wouldn't. I want I would want to sing with him. Um, <laughs> but all right, I have this theory about Bono and people he picks out of the audience. Yeah. And I don't want to offend anybody. And, and, I, and I don't want and I don't want to offend anybody. But just as a collective look at the people Bono picks out of the audience that we've seen him, you know, pick. It's usually attractive young women. It's normally interesting, young looking young women. They're never normally tens, are they? <laughs> the, they might be a seven or an eight, but it's never normally a. a the kind of woman that looks like a model. It's not a fashion parade, it's a gig. No, it's not. But my theory fell down when we saw them on the Innocence and Experience tour. Because he picked out that blonde girl, who'd been picked out like three times before. But I think she's sort of like a regular fan person who goes who joins them on stage. Yeah, but the bon- then Bono just went, have we met before? Yeah, of course you know you've met before Bono. You've been perving on her for four gigs now. Oh, oh, oh! Sorry, did I pick you again? What a mistake! <laughs> Dirty dog. Um, good, good version. Um, but I, I, I think I just prefer it when Bono's doing something other than than having a lie down. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I as I said, it's it's not a version that I have a lot to say about, to be honest. Um, Treat. Yeah. I've, I've put here. I'd do anything for for Bono to do that to me. Treat me like one of your crowd girls, Mister Bono. That should have stayed in your mind and not <laughs> flowing out of your pen. Right. Well, let's let's turn things up to eleven and get back to some classic rock. Um, at, well, actually, I've introduced that prematurely after a brand new after a brand new introduction, which makes this probably my favourite version of yeah. the fly. It's, I mean, and that's beating the Zoo TV version where it was fresh, and you've got all the oh god, actually, does it beat? Mm, that's difficult, actually. But even at this stage in in the show, you're seeing that screen do something it's not done before. No, you see, yeah. you're seeing a different part of the stage show. Uh, and were, what, two songs from the end? Yeah. This is how much that small setting can do. Yeah. It, it's continuing to change. It's con- continuing to to give you something interesting to look at. Yeah. And the other thing is a lot of a lot of drama and action is conveyed by simple things. Just like that, that introduction, slowing it all down for a little bit, playing chords which are obviously from the fly, but you're not using actual lyrics from it. So if if I I mean if I was listening to that the first time I'd be thinking, This is familiar. What's this mm. sound like? And then you obviously have Bono just breathing into the microphone, just going you know, at the start and jumping up. Very simple thing to do, but accompanied by a bit of video reinforcement. Nothing as big as Zoo TV, but a bit of video reinforcement. It called back enough yeah, to it's just to enough. Zoo TV, yeah. And well, the way he finishes with the, the silhouette of the fly yeah. on the screen. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Now you're an expert in LED lights, Tyler, as we all know. Oh God, here we go. Would would that screen have been hot? Um, I if it, uh, yeah, I I guess it would. Mm. Yeah, LEDs do get hot, and it's 2001. I would I would imagine it it got pretty hot. Maybe not so hot that it's uncomfortable. But I think that that splat of the fly on the screen is a really clever little reference yeah. and I'd, i would much <clears throat> rather have bono running around like a mad person there's a bit i'm sure where either larry or adam looks over at him and bono's got his mouth wide open because he's just running like a child around and around and you think there's still all that vitality there yeah so many different sides of bono in the show just before we leave the i the idea of led lighting i oh, did find out a little bit more information about the joshua tree 2017 screen it is the largest ever made. Which is what I said. Uh, I think it was 200 foot by 45 foot. Literally hundreds of feet. Interestingly, that is just about as tall as the tallest Joshua trees. Mm. Um, and it is 7.6K. You know, you can get 4K TVs now. Mm-hmm. That is a seven foot, uh, 7.6K resolution screen. That's how sharp it was, and it was, it was sharp. Mm. As someone who has worn glasses for the majority of my life, I may never have seen anything that sharp before. I'm not sure the human eye can appreciate sharpness beyond a certain point. <laughs> well, I was I was appreciating the hell out of that screen at, at JT. It was it was amazing. I mean, yeah, okay. it was it was a it was a brilliant way of doing it. Um, yeah, I like the slow start. This this is really good. A lot of changes to this song as well. I'd have swapped this with Until the End of the World. Oh, in placing? Yeah. Um, 
I think the thing is the spectacle of having Bono and Edge duel right at the start is yeah. a, a good thing for the start of the show and and the stage just giving you know having something else to show yeah off. holding this back to this point is yeah. great um but also this song has been changed um the key's been changed or at least they've they've moved it around a little bit in terms of pitch because edge is not now doing the um doing the the singing to for the chorus bono's doing it but in a, in a different register so mm. but it's great that they can they can switch it and it still sounds great i like both versions a lot and that's very difficult to take a song that you like a lot a mm. song that was a very successful single and just change it and people still be like yeah this is great i'm still gonna rock out to it uh wake up dead man mm. very nice version very beautiful version um probably didn't have the full impact on me the first time i watched it <clears throat> but now knowing everything behind what you know what, what's happening in bono's life and the band's yeah. life um they're all starting to really experience loss in quite a big way. Yeah. Started with um, Michael Hutchins and then Bono's dad and mm. all, all all these things, the awful things that happen when you grow older. Um. I I really like this. It's, it's um. But I don't know if it's a song that I want them to keep bringing back. Well, I guess it's brief. Yeah. I mean. It, it Even was it, it was it was basically just a snippet, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah actually, yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a very long version of it, and it was very stripped down. Mm. I think it's one of the songs I'm not going to be clamoring for them to bring back all the time. But if something happens, it might be a useful thing to 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 bring back. Uh, did you notice Bono's uh, boo boo in this song? He made a little mistake. Did he? He got seven and heaven the wrong the wrong way round. Right. So he said. He's in charge of heaven first rather than made the world in seven. Mm. Didn't matter, but you know. Well, fair enough. Um, and then finally, Walk On. Yeah. Uh, and really good book ending that you, you've got a song from the album starting and finishing it. Yeah, I think that works. I think that would be something to, interesting to look at as we go forward to see how often that happens. Mm. I think this is a really nice non traditional closer as well. I mean, much as I like 40. And a few other kind of U2 standards. I'd rather them end on this hopeful kind of joyous note a few more times. Either this or go for the other end of the spectrum, like with uh, Love is Blindness and go for the melancholy. Uh, Bono's t-shirt is absolutely soaked. Um, I, I have put Why Don't They Finish with this more often. And, and it's one of the... Has, has this song also been forgotten now? Well, played it on the 360 tour. Yeah, true. And that was good. Um, I mean, it, it is difficult, isn't it, when we're, we're kind of spoiled for choice all the time. Mm. Um, Six songs from All That You Can't Leave Behind, out of 19. All the ones that I want apart from um, When You Look At The World. I would have liked to have seen Wild Honey. Mm. But mm. obviously we're going to disagree. Well, well actually, actually look, I mean, I'm being stupid here and playing up to, to type, but I would prefer Wild Honey to any one of the ones that I've seen a load of times before here. Mm. Um, Bono says thank you over Edge's solo, which annoys me, because that bit with the solo clicks in, it goes... I, I just want to hear Edge doing that, and Bono talks over it. And then he sings thank you, which is really weird. It sounds like he's just starting to say it, and then he sings thank you, which is an, an odd thing to happen. Um, highlights for you. 
Um, the transition to streets is possibly the best streets transition ever. Yeah. Um, gone. I always loved that version, and that was the version. That was the song because I heard this so early on in my U two, um, you know, kind of listening experience that I searched for on records. And when I finally started to listen to pop, I was like, "It's this one," and it was fantastic. Yeah. You know, so that's a real highlight for me. But an elevation itself, really good. Yeah, uh, I've got walk on the fly. And bad forty streets. Yeah. Um. Just really special moments in that in that show. Um. This is really. I, I think this is the end of a era in U two, and also in a, a an age in the world. I think that, as we said, the the nine eleven uh, terrorist attacks that happened a couple of months after this. Mm. It really can't be underestimated and probably can't be fully appreciated yet how much that changed everything. Yeah. Uh, it felt like this was the end of, I guess, an age of innocence and, and playfulness and mm. the world became a lot more serious. Well, what, I will say, what I will say just before we move on from that point is I think there was definitely a public perception that everything had changed. The only caveat I will, I will say is that the factors leading up to that event didn't just come out of the blue. And we're obviously not going to get into hard-hitting political, mm. economic, and historical conversation. But 9/11 didn't come from absolutely yeah. nowhere. And but I think it was it was the impact culturally that it did feel that it was very difficult to be in a band like you two who were difficult in one sense to be hopeful and say it's a beautiful day and everything like that and have these songs. But then that album became so important, particularly yeah. to a lot of Amer- American audiences. And that's the other side of the coin there. Um. I'm going to like finish up what I think with uh, another quote from uh, Danny... What's his face? <laughs> Eccleston. Eccleston. Yeah. Danny Eccleston. Um, so what this, sh- what this show came to mean later on with the events of 9-11, U2's music lifts you up. It's big enough to do that. In this tur- this is- So this is a quote from 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this turbulent year where hate has hit the headlines... And hope is in the small print. We have all really needed it. One song from uh, oh, and then I've just put one song from every album apart from October and Zeropa. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you write the? Uh, uh, the, I, I, the I know. Uh, it might be my favorite presentation of of review. T- uh, sorry, of you two ever. Um, it might not be the most exciting show when compared to Zoo TV or Pop, but mm. it's hard to argue that that this is this isn't you two at its absolute best. See, I'd be really interested in hearing from listeners who didn't grow up with that affinity towards this particular DVD. Mm. We were at the perfect age to get into this DVD when we first started listening to it. This is where we start to come into our era of U2, really. And obviously, there'll be people who started in right at the start, there'll be people who picked it up in the 90s, and people who were picking it up towards Vertigo. And maybe the first time they ever listened to U2 was on mm. one of those iPad ads, uh, iPhone ads. But this is our era, and it's so difficult for us to be objective about it in any way. Well, this show proves that the fantastic musicians, fantastic songwriters, and most importantly, a fantastic live act. Mm. You can't, you can't get any better than that. Uh, for a, a, yeah. a, li- a live presentation of a band, this is the pinnacle. This is what yeah. any uh, videographer for music he should look at this and see what exactly how much was done right in this show. 
well well done Willie Williams well done Hamish Hamilton for the for directing this and it is really well directed um mm. and yeah there must have been so many people who at Pop Mart were threw up their hands and went do you know what done great songs maybe but I'm not sticking around for all this lemon business this really must have convinced them yeah. oh the band is still there go out buy the buy the DVD um I think it's really cheap on eBay um but you can see some songs performed through Bono's sunglasses. Yeah. Uh, you can see a lovely version of Beautiful Day where Bono almost sings it correctly. He messes up the end of it. That's yeah. on top of the Clarence Hotel, which is owned by Edge and Bono in mm-hmm. Dublin. So, yeah, really fun to go go back and research this, this album. Yeah, it feels like anything we're going to say, or at least for mind, is, is going to be incomplete to... I, 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 I think Boston we both feel something. like we can't do this justice. No, we really can't. Um, so I'm sorry if we've not been as articulate <laughs> this week, but we we love this, and I think we think we hope you will too. Yeah. Um, anything else to add? Oh, uh, Vinny said that he would use his magical ticket for this. Really? For this show? Yeah. Okay. For this very very gig, sixth of June. Fair not, enough. Not the eighth or the ninth. The sixth. <laughs> I think it was the fifth and the ninth. Anyway, um, well, that's fair enough. Um, although I, Vinny doesn't—he's not done the research. He—he he, he wouldn't know much about the unforgettable. No, fight he at was all. so. I've not seen him that excited about listening to you two in in a long while. Where, where he just absolutely that's what he had to listen to at that time. Okay, well then, after we say goodbye, I'm going to drop in my little mini interview with Vinny about this. Um, so if you want to hear more of any thoughts and opinions and why this might have been his magical ticket moment stick around after when we say goodbye but yeah I think that's it's time for us to go from us both here at Review 2 thank you very much for listening and we will be back with you next week with the Vertigo Tour see you soon bye bye Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review 2 u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review 2 or search for the Review 2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you. question that i would like to ask you Vinny, is is there a particular moment that you'd say that is elevation that's like the moment that stands out to me uh so yeah the the finale basically the, the walk-on moment when everything's when the all the yeah. texas protected on the crowd is like insanely powerful at the time mm. for me both in boston and in slain okay um in slain um all i want is you is like a really powerful thing, but the thing is, Boston was the main one that like Boston yeah. was the first like elevation tour. It feels like gig. that was the touchstone it. for me and you watching it. It um, was, yeah. So, me. so walk on would be the one that you would come well, back to. Walk on's one because that's obviously there's, there's, right at the end of the concert. It, no, it is, but there are so many moments in that in the Boston show that 
to get me kind of like you know a bit emotional. Um, that one always hits me though. Kite got me as well. Kite um, got me. This it got time. me surprisingly because I didn't like it that much as a song beforehand. I, I mean, I I did like it, but I wasn't I wasn't like that bothered about the song. But then in mm. in Boston, it really caught me in some way. Like it, it really See, I think that the problem with that song, perhaps on record, is that it might be seen as a little bit generic. I mm. who's to say what the wind will take you? Who's to say what it is will break you? All that kind mm. of thing. In in worse hands, that could sound like a terrible kind of. Um, like, you know, just sort of yeah, yeah. rock pop ballad sort of thing. Flaccid sort of song. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but but it has a load of emotion at that gig, mm. and I don't know. I I think it probably relates to Bono's father at that particular point. But that's yeah. a conclusion I've come to recently. But I think I always picked up on the emotion that was in that performance, and that's what makes it great at Boston. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I don't know if it's. Well, yeah, like we lost our dog at the same sort of time, which obviously is the song they mentioned, like Fair saying enough. goodbye or something, and like it was. Was that blue? Blue, yeah. yeah. Like kind of, I don't know. It's kind of hijacked. Just, just a little preface he gives, like this is about saying goodbye to someone you don't want to say goodbye to, or something. Yeah, but that, that's that the great preface, thing about like, it, though, isn't it? That's a good thing about a live thing. Like you can listen to a song that you could listen to and interpret in many ways on record. Yeah. But just listen to that little preface, and then like I happen to be listening to that gig a lot of the time. Mm. And then that happened, and it just seemed it was just like a little hook for me to kind of listen to that as well. But I think that that is what happens with with things, particularly. I mean, how old were we when we were watching Boston? Was it thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, something like that? Younger than fifteen, I reckon. Really? 13, 14, I, reckon. Oh. I reckon so. I mean, I think yeah. the thing is that it that DVD and that concert are attached to such a lot of formative memories. Yeah. Uh, that if maybe we'd been a few years younger or a few years older, maybe we would have attached it to different ones. But for me, it it it, it seems like weirdly the it's not my favourite, but it's the definitive U two concert for me. It's what I always think of. Every time I put it on, it feels like a journey again. Like yeah. Every single time. Okay, so me and Tyler always go through the swag, the set, the stage, all that kind of thing. So. With the swag, who do you think is the best dressed from? Best dressed. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't forget, Janet. I think so. Number seven T-shirt. Number seven T-shirt, which I have tried to find a good replica of on the internet and failed. So if anyone can find me one, please send me a link, or if you're feeling generous, send me the T-shirt <laughs> and another one for Vinny, maybe. Um, be large, large <laughs> for me, <laughs> and for me as well. I, I so the stage. What do you think about the stage? I mean, the it's heart. the heart. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the stage is great. The four screens above the stage yeah. and the heart and the whole kind of heart compartment of the standing bit. Overall, it's simple, but it gets right to the heart of the of the audience, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This is yeah. It's not like DTV or Pop Mart esque mm. levels of craziness, but it's like simple and. For me, the emotion of the show mm. is enough. Like, is is, yeah, off. Yeah, offsets the le- lack of craziness in the stage. You don't need craziness in the stage, right? No. For that gig. What other songs are real highlights for you that you can think of in that yeah. show? Like, well, I went to walk on before, but like almost all the songs I love in that show. Like, genuinely, I'm not, like. Um, mm. There's not really a bad one among there's, them, really. I don't think there's a bad one. Even, like, I really enjoy Bullet the Blue Sky in that one as well. Yeah. Where he's, like, shining, shining the torch around again. Mm. Um, Mark Chapman! Mark Chapman! <laughs> That's my name! <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but, but yeah, like yeah, that, the... and then obviously Streets is like excellent, and um, also yeah, go on. Um, Desire, where it's just the three of them up front. Really up stripped up down, really stripped but down. It's bloody lovely, isn't it? It is. It's also. It's <laughs> seriously, wow, I'm, here I'm we go. Gonna, I'm just gonna do this for every single song in the whole set list. Um, Stay is beautiful. Yes. with the dual vocals from Bono and Edge. I, it's I, just it gets me every time. Well, I think this will be my phrase for the whole podcast. It, it's the definitive version of Stay. There's not a better version of it. It's so so good. In in summary, for me, um, it was it's probably I don't know, like you say the defi- like the the U two show. For, it's every other U two show I've seen live on DVD compares to has that. felt like I discovered that. Yeah. But the 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 bedrock for me was for me because obviously just the age of generational yeah. was elevation, Boston. Do you think it's weird that you and I, you know, as young as we were, just felt such affinity and affection for these middle-aged Irish rockers? It is unusual. I think there's not many. There's a lot of people of our generation that think it's a bit odd to be so like, yeah. enthusiastic about you too. Because we were into contemporary but, music at the time, as in yeah. stuff that was produced by more like twenty-year-olds. Um, but we we disliked it, I guess. Maybe the melodies got us, or the depth of the song. I don't know. I mean, like you know, know about what music, was, yeah. so yeah. But like, but but liking things doesn't necessarily come down to like technical. Doesn't always come down to technical appreciation. It can be like that's all like that song. Like, like the thing that first gets you into it is just having a visceral like for it. Hmm. You can then discover all the kind of extra niches and weird, interesting things about it. Yeah. But um. For me, for me, lots of it was. I remember you got all you can't leave behind, the album. Because <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got a CD player system. I did, yeah. Before I did. Revolutionary. And then got that album, and then also Elevation was out, and I thought that was like. We well, had the Elevation really single, cool. which I was really jealous of. Yeah, only three pound or something. Didn't it? <laughs> I didn't have three pound in those days. I spent all my money on all you can't leave behind. <laughs> um. But yeah, Elevation was like a cool banging tune at the time. Like, it was a bit, To me, actually. at least. To lots of people, it probably wasn't, but to I think to you and I, it was. Well, but it was in the, uh, the the Tomb Raider soundtrack, so I mean, that's pretty pretty cool. I guess that's a cultural thing at the time. I didn't even see Tomb Raider. Huh? But... That's not very good. You're not missing much. Are you? Oh, well. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think... I think we're at an end now with um, the interview from Vinny. So, uh, Vinny, cheers. And hopefully we'll see you again on yet another podcast. Anything you want to say to the Review 2 fans? Put you on the spot. <laughs> you are a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, I would say thanks thanks for your support of the podcast. I'm a supporter of the podcast <laughs> in as much as I'm a guest. <laughs> and do listen to some of them. Yeah. This is this is really awful. This is terrible message to the fans. <laughs> Right, that's from Vinny. Right, we'll see you later. (laughs) Bye-bye, and happy birthday to Vinny. Bye.